Well, good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRNAM for Tuesday, February 14th, 2023. And our top story today, the Labor Department is eyeing a project to improve participant messaging. And joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Austin Ramsey is with Bloomberg Law. Austin, happy Valentine's Day to you and great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, I want to offer a uh, Valentine's Day best wishes to the Department of Labor. Really appreciate all the work they're doing, and they have a special spot in my heart. Um, I, Austin, I want to ask you about a new project. Uh, appear, you know, based on your reporting, the Department of Labor is looking to improve participant messaging. And, and first of all, where does this come from? Does it come from the Secure Act? Does it just is it just an acknowledgement that maybe we're not doing things as well as we should? I think it's a combination of both. This is a bit of a pet project of the Department of Labor under the Biden administration, I think. Um, and it harkens back to the SECURE Act in as much as this new law is about improving the relationship that workers and retirees have with their retirement plans sponsored by, of course, an employer. Um, But there isn't anything too specific about messaging. Instead, Secure 2.0 introduces a lot of new programs that would make it, that would would, uh, require employers to communicate with those participants even more than they have in the past. And of course, as anyone who has a a workplace 401k or a defined benefit pension plan knows, you know, you're getting letters in the mail, you're getting emails. If you have some type of web, web portal, you're getting messages from both your employer and the record keeper, the uh, the essentially the, the company that sponsors that plan and makes it available to you, you're getting messages from them all the time. Um, and also, as anyone who has an employee, uh, 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 an employer sponsored plan knows, sometimes that communication can be chock full of legalese, let's be honest. Um, I think that the department, what the Department of Labor is trying to do here is cut down on a bit of that legalese, make it make sure that participants uh, are able to understand uh, what what they're reading and what that ultimately means. You know, there have been a couple of projects that the Department of Labor has undertaken recently um, that's all about improving um, the message that that those participants uh, receive. What I'm thinking of right now is um, a lifetime income statement that the Department of Labor uh, proposed last year and, and has since come into effect, which requires for the first time employers to in some way describe how what a current benefit will translate into an annuity or or long-term income near retirement. Now, there's a lot of consternation, a lot of pushback against that rule because obviously for younger participants, their account balances are going to be rather small. So how much, how that will translate into uh, retirement income may be a little bit misleading. But I think 
by and large, what the Department of Labor is trying to do here is make it so that participants can better understand what they're reading when they get those letters in the mail, when they get those emails, when they get those web portal messages. Yeah, and, and, and look, I mean, you, you mentioned the lifetime income disclosure. Before that, there was the, 40, uh, the 40EP2 notice, which was fee disclosure. I mean, this is since the inception of the 401k plan, I think we've all been bombarded. First, we were bombarded by mail. Now we're being bombarded, bombarded digitally. It's really hard to kind of parse through all that and figure out what you're trying to do. And, and Austin, let's be, let's be real about this. Uh, our industry uses a lot of jargon. And a lot of that jargon is, uh, you know, legalese and, you know, uh, the one I think about often is past performance is not indicative of future results. And it's really hard in all seriousness for participants to understand what action they could or should take. Hopefully that gets better. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. Uh, I think by and large, the individuals who are drafting these, these, these notices for participants, look, they're employee benefits lawyers. They are, are individuals whose primary responsibility is to protect the employer, or in some place, cases, to protect the financial advisor to a plan, to protect the third-party administrator to a, to a plan, the, the record keeper to a plan. Their primary responsibility, they are hired by the plan to protect these individuals from the fiduciary liability that comes with sponsoring a plan. The whole reason that the Department of Labor has any regulatory control over workplace benefit plans in the first place is because they uh, they put a fiduciary responsibility, one of the strictest, one of the highest uh, you know, responsibilities for care in the financial services world on the individuals that are sponsoring that plan. And um, anyone who's been you know, monitoring the, the, the fiduciary uh, plaintiff's world even a little bit over the, over the last few years knows that you know, many of the record keepers, many of the plan sponsors who work in this space have been being sued um, for you know, excessive fees related to 401k plans, poor performance related to 401k plans. And so I think that, you know, the reason that the attorneys that are drafting this language make it so airtight from a legal perspective is because they're trying to close up a possible additional loophole that that could expose them to litigation. That said, I think what the Department of Labor could do here, and it's important to note here, that we don't know what this rulemaking project is ultimately going to to look like. All that we know is that the Department of Labor is thinking about a project here. Um, I I think that what what that could look like, however, is uh, some type of safe harbor, which carves out protections for fiduciaries so long as they are putting forth some type of effort to communicate with their plan participants in a way that makes sure that they understand. They could also create plan, draft plan language. In other words, you know, draft what a, a, a communication statement could look like or should look like and, and allow fiduciaries just to copy and paste that from the Department of Labor and then insert, you know, numbers and and dates that are specific to plan participants that they're trying to communicate with. But in the end, I think this is good news. It's good news for 
uh, participants because participants should understand the language that they're receiving because it's important about the decisions that someone like me, for example, is, is making about the investments, for example, that I choose or how much money I choose to contribute to a plan. For individuals who are nearing retirement, it might encourage a participant to make catch-up contra contributions to their plan or roll money into or out of an annuity. At, at the end of the day, participants need to have information about their 401k plans because their 401k plans are their connection to their future. It's what allows them to uh, to, to, to live a, a happy and healthy retirement. Yeah, really, really important. And I, I, I think also, uh, I have to go to a commercial break, but I'll, I'll just say, I'll just add that there's been so many new disclosures, so many new rules that are going into effect or have been in effect it's always good to streamline. And we've seen the department do this with electronic notifications and in other areas, it just makes sense. And, and we should be revisiting communications on a regular basis, either as a fiduciary, as a plan sponsor, but also in how we conduct business to make it better. Awesome, as I said, I need to take a very quick break. When we come back, any ESG pressure is mounting. What's it mean for the new Department of Labor ESG rules? You're gonna to wanna to stick around right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses, I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Tax audits, tax liens, wage garnishments. Every day we hear stories like this about good folks who are simply struggling to pay their bills. Each of them are living a frightening IRS tax nightmare and they are afraid it will destroy their lives. I'm a divorced single mom and my ex-husband left me and the kids with a lot of unpaid bills, including unpaid taxes. I was really starting to show my stress on my kids because the IRS had sent me a letter demanding a huge payment from me. I couldn't afford it. So then the IRS was threatening to garnish my wages. I'm already living paycheck to paycheck. That would have put me over the edge financially. It truly seemed hopeless, but then a friend at work told her to call the tax relief line. 
The people at the tax relief line, they told me about something called innocent spouse relief. They worked it out so that all of the taxes from my ex are not my problem. I don't know how that works and, and I don't care. All I care about is that I don't owe the IRS a dime and they are not going to take my paycheck. Even if it seems hopeless, you should call the number on your screen right now. There is absolutely no cost for the call or the consultation. You are under no obligation. If you are worried that the IRS could garnish your wages, seize your assets, even take your home, call us right now. The Tax Relief Line is here to help you. Now you have a knowledgeable, professional team of tax experts that are ready to negotiate with the IRS and fight for you to save you money. The Tax Relief Line's professionals have successfully negotiated thousands of cases, reducing and sometimes even eliminating the tax debt for their clients. It's very easy to get started. Simply call the number on your screen right now. You don't have to live in fear anymore. The call and the consultation are free. Well, Austin, thanks so much for staying with us this morning. Really appreciate you hanging around for segment number two. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about the, uh, the ESG uh, Department of Labor rules. The ESG came out and said that it is okay, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm not an attorney, I don't think you are either. It's okay to use some of these pecuniary factors when evaluating investments, so ESG is okay. But there has been some pushback in the Congress around this, and I want to get your sense for how, uh, how big is this movement uh, to push back on this, and is there any viability to reversing what the Department of Labor has done? Well, um, in terms of relying on the Congressional Review Act, which is the, the method that Republicans on the Hill are using to, uh, to take a close look, another look, a review, if you will, of this rule, there's definitely a chance that Congress could uh, <clears throat> pass legislation that would block the rule from taking effect. That said, um, Congressional Review Act legislation requires a presidential authorization, a presidential signature like any other bill. And because this is a, a project of the Biden administration, we, we would expect that that would be the first veto that President Biden issues um, if Congress, of course, were to do that. Um, but this really all harkens back to, you know, whether you're pro or anti-ESG. And um, ESG is kind of a confusing initialism, initialism in the first place. And the reason for that is because I think a lot of laymen uh, look at ESG and, and, and to be honest, I, I did for a while myself. They, they think of it as a type of investment, um, but it's not necessarily a type of investment as much as it's a way of thinking about an, a, a particular investment. ESG, as you know, of course, stands for environmental, social, and governance. And, and, and essentially, these are, um, you know, ways to look at, for example, the performance of a company. I, I always try to harken back to, for example, an, an oil company. If you're looking at, at investing in a particular oil company, and for whatever reason, you find out that that oil company is uh, inadvertently or intentionally dumping oil into the Gulf of Mexico or into some body of water, that could be a problem both environmentally and because it, it could expose them to some regulatory controls by uh, regulators like the EPA. That's going to affect the bottom line of that company. And of course, that's going to affect the bottom line of the um, of the investments related to the company. And so 
Um, but at the end of the day, that is technically considering ESG factors. And so what the Department of Labor did um, first in the Trump administration is try to pull back on these controls. And, and I think what they were trying to do is, is make sure that fiduciaries are considering financial interests first when, uh, when, when, when they're considering investments. And of course, that's required under the law anyway. The Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974 requires that fiduciaries for employer-sponsored employer plans do consider the financial interest, the best financial interest of plan participants first. What the, what the Biden administration has since done is, is roll that, that Trump administration roll back and, and come back to say that ESG considerations can be financial considerations. Um, of course, what we're seeing now is uh, Republicans say, well, hold on, we want to make sure that the investments that, you know, hundreds of millions of Americans rely on for retirement are safe from extra financial interests. Um, the kinds of interests like bettering the environment or, you know, woke politics, if you will. Um, they're they're trying to make sure that at the end of the day, retirement plans are free from politics and that are focusing only on improving uh, the, the the bottom line and the account balances of of Americans. Yeah, and and Austin, I mean, we have seen when we talk about products for a second, we're not going to. There are providers that have come out, for example, with ESG targeting funds. I think Putnam just recently announced BlackRock. There are others that are applying these factors. And from what I can tell in talking with industry experts, both here and abroad, the U.S. is a little behind, shall we say, for our, our European peers or counterparts. Um, but, but I wonder what the adoption looks like in some of these retirement plans. Do you have a, do you have a feel uh, in, in doing your reporting? Do you have a sense for how the adoption is going for some of these ESG type, type products? I do. And... It's kind of funny because there's there's two worlds of ESG right now. There's the ESG world, political pol politically speaking, and then there's the real world of ESG. And and the real world of ESG is that major uh, financial managers on Wall Street, whether it's BlackRock or any others, Fidelity, State Street, they have uh, integrated ESG considerations into their investment decision-making processes, they, they did that decades ago. Most financial managers, most savvy financial managers are thinking about the environmental considerations. They're thinking about the, the way that a company um, stacks its board, whether or not it, it makes diverse hiring decisions. They've been thinking about these kinds of considerations for years because I think that there's been an understanding on Wall Street that, of course, these are financial factors. In the 21st century, in a world where, um, you know, I think a, a lot of Americans are waking up to the realities of the way that companies have been run, um, and they've made their voices hurt, heard both in the on the streets and in the polling boxes and in 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 other ways, I think companies have have taken a step back and they've they've realized, wait a second, this can affect a, a particular investment's bottom line, and 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 as a result, they've been making these decisions. And so, I think for most Americans who have a a, a lineup of investments in a four hundred one k or who put most of the investment decision-making process in the hands of a fiduciary or a financial advisor in a plan, in a defined benefit plan. I think by and large, 
the investment managers who are making decisions for those 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 large um, you know index funds or mutual funds that you have exposure to in the market, they they're already integrating ESG considerations, and there's no there there's absolutely no indication that they're going to stop anytime soon. Then there's the political side of ESG where. Politics plays a much larger role in, in the investment making process. And of course, I'm thinking of public pension plans here. In that, in that side of the investment world, um, you know, of course, I think primarily Republicans, but lawmakers in general at the state level have been have they've been eyeing companies like BlackRock and saying, look, you are you're 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 integrating, you're going to, too far ESG-wise. And so we're gonna pull back. We're not going to allow ESG decision-making process processes to integrate into public pension plans. And we've been seeing this in dozens of states around the country. Now, I think many of those same lawmakers who recently regained control of Congress are saying, okay, we're going to make sure that private sector pension plans that of course are already ESG integrated in many ways are, are, are going to you know, get, get the same protections that we've been trying to do at the state level. But it's important to note here that at the end of the day, ERISA covers only private sector plans, not public pension plans. That's true. And that for most Americans, the investment decision-making processes are not regulated by the Labor Department, by the IRS, or not even controlled by Congress. These are Wall Street decisions. They've always been Wall Street decisions, and ESG has pretty much already won out on Wall Street. Yeah, and let's, last question, and I've got about a minute left. I wanna ask you about the greenwashing, the data. Look, this is an imperfect market. Every market's imperfect, but as markets are evolving, there's imperfection, and imperfections are worked out through uh, you know, more data, more transparency, et cetera. That's something that the ESG industry, I think, wants more of. And then you've got the regulatory side where like the SEC is saying, okay, we want to make sure that whatever you're advertising isn't fake. It's not greenwashing. So have the, do the regulators, and we've, we've talked a lot about the Department of Labor, but let's talk a little bit about the other regulators for a second, the SEC and other areas of the government. Are they... Are they up to speed and is there more that they could do to ensure that people are doing what they're advertising? The SEC is working on this and we expect them to propose more rules in that line. At the end of the day, what they're trying to do is create a baseline. Um, as I already said, ESG is a confusing topic, and for many people, they don't know what you mean when you say ESG. You could be, for example, describing a particular investment, an investment class, or a way of thinking about investments. And so um, the SEC has proposed some rules that both aim to prevent companies from using the right language to seem like they're ESG friendly, as you noted, greenwashing, but they've also tried to create a standardized language for what ESG investments are. Data is the is the part of that, as you as you noted, uh, that that's really lacking. We need to create a system by which we can compare investments, so we know what we're talking about when we're comparing how green or how environmentally friendly one company might be as compared to another. Um, Europe has has solved this in many ways, um, and that's because to a large degree, ESG is not really a political consideration uh, for our European friends across the Atlantic. 
Um, this is only a financial factor. And so I think, you know, at the end of the day, ESG, as I noted, probably has already won out on Wall Street. But we need to get through the politics of this first, and then we're, go we're, we're going to allow the regulators to, to set the ground rules for, for what ESG investing is going to look, out, look like for decades to come. And, it's, and it sounds like, Austin, that this could potentially be part of that participant messaging project that you were talking about, right? I mean, what is a definition and what, is it, what does this all mean? I mean, I feel like that at the end of the day, you got to make sure you can communicate this to the shareholder because they don't understand it. Are they really going to put money behind it? I think there's a lot of work to be done there. Austin, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much. That wraps up this episode of BRNAM. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, we'll visit our website, and of course, all of our 300 streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRNAM. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.